Do we want to enter the kingdom of God? Do I want to enter the kingdom of God? Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? This is a question uh, or a series of questions that we're going to be addressing this morning. Do we want to? Do I want to? Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? But first, let's pray together. God, as we open your word together now for study, we ask that you would help us to be just as inclined to you now and in the minutes ahead as we have been, as the choir sang and as we sang and as we prayed with Jim's leading. And as the children listened and as Lori was baptized, help us to be as inclined to you in the same way. Give us ears that are good to hear eyes that can see the things that you would have us see, hearts that are good and fertile soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be passed over, not heard, forgotten. In the name of Jesus, amen. As a means of reviewing and to test our recall ability a little bit with regard to what we've talked about over the last few weeks, I'm going to ask you to help me with my introduction this morning with a few questions. First, what is the thing about which Jesus spoke more than anything else? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And when Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, does he also mean kingdom of God? Yes. Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven or the phrase kingdom of heaven. Elsewhere, we see it as kingdom of God because as we've talked about Matthew's very Jewish writing to a Jewish audience. They're reluctant to say the holy, most holy, reverent, set apart name God. And so he uses this circumlocution. But when Matthew, when uh, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't mean what we commonly understand as heaven. Instead, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a whole different thing than we're talking about when we say or we think heaven. And so to that end, in continuing our review, what are some of the things that we've agreed that the scriptures teach and indicate that the kingdom of God is not? That the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not? A place? The church? Up there, a country, Israel, the United States, a strictly future reality. Good. And what are some of the things that we have said and agreed from the scriptures that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is? Again, help me. Where God reigns. What else? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is dynamic, always changing, moving, advancing. What else? Here, now, today, what else? It's about God or about the king, right. Good, Abby. Where his will is done, what else? The kingdom of God is within. It is within us, among us, around us, within us. Good. It is the reality in which God's, what God wills is done. It is the rule of God in people's lives. It is the authority of God to reign, and it is the people of 
themselves, ourselves, over whom God reigns. And again, we're interested in the thing called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven because Jesus was immensely interested in it to the extent that he spoke more about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God than he did any other single thing. And within that and outside of that, there's another thing that he talked about, and we're going to touch on that this morning, the thing that he spoke about second most. And today we're going to combine those. Uh, as we dig into the scriptures, we're going to continue in Matthew's gospel as we have been for the sake of continuity. Last week we finished up in chapter 18, the beginning of chapter 19. We're going to return there to Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. Listen closely, follow along on the screen. This is the word of God. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, rabbi, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man inquired. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, truly, truly, amen, amen. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the easiest way to explore this passage in Matthew's gospel this morning, uh, a version of which also appears in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, is to just kind of go through it a verse at a time, verse by verse. What we've, what we've read about immediately follows what we finished with last Sunday morning in Matthew's gospel. These words Jesus said, and you'll remember these, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. To people who in some ways possess the characteristics we talked about of children, of humility, of teachableness, of dependence on others. Like children, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children and to such as these. Verse 15, when Jesus had placed his hands on those children, he went on from there. Verse 16, and just then, immediately, right then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Do you see the connection? And the man's question is reasonable because he's not a child, and he's not a lot like a child. He doesn't think of himself as a child or even childlike, so what is he to do? How does he fit into Jesus' categories, Jesus' rubric, Jesus' teaching? He was interested in the kingdom of heaven. He earnestly wanted to be a part of it. He asks about eternal life. But as we see in this passage, these words kingdom of heaven and eternal life are almost interchangeable. I think it's important that we see that. We'll see more of it in a bit. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what's good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, 
keep the commandments. And Jesus cares about the man. He clearly cares about the man. In Mark's gospel, he says, Mark says, and Jesus loved the man. But it seems that Jesus is thinking, dear man, you have already been given guidance. You're holding the answer to your question. You've been shown the way of the kingdom and eternal life by the only one who is good, by the one who holds all things in his hand, by the one to whom all things belong. He has shown you the way. If you want to enter life, and notice this man asks about eternal life, and Jesus responds simply with life, because for Jesus, this life can be also eternal life. This life is the beginning of eternal life. This life counts as eternal life. Are you with me on this? Kingdom of heaven equals eternal life, equals simply for Jesus life, or maybe life with a capital L, which elsewhere Jesus calls abundant life, and also salvation, we see in verse 25. And this is a big deal. It's important that we see this. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, eternal life, life, salvation, or to be saved are almost or very close to being interchangeable terms for Jesus. It's really important that we understand this. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And if there is life or eternal life or something of eternal life, in keeping the commandments, as if there was something of eternal life in keeping the commandments themselves, in the way that God has shown, there might just be some of eternal life in the act and the process and the devotion of keeping the commandments which are God's way for us to live. And for some of us, these big red flags go off at this point and we say to ourselves, this can't be right. That would be works-based salvation rather than salvation by grace through faith. And such an observation is true if one thinks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or eternal life strictly in terms of a future reality that a person earns or obtains is or given after one dies, after one is through with these bodies. But remember what we've agreed upon at the outset, that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not up there, and it's not a strictly future reality, but instead is the rule and the reign of God in a person's life today. It is the reality and the realm in which what God wills, what God wants, what God desires, what God seeks is done, comes into existence, comes to fruition here and now today. Are we getting this? And so rather than pointing to a strictly future reality, Jesus is implying, it seems, that what he calls the kingdom is accessible right then to a person who does what God says, who obeys God's commands. And while this still can sound like some works-based salvation, notice two more things. First in verse 29, just beyond the, the verses that we've read, just beyond our verses, Jesus speaks of inheriting eternal life. The young man in our passage asks what he must do to get eternal life. But in the end, for Jesus, eternal life is not gotten by what we do or what one has done, but rather it is inherited or received 
or passed on to those to whom the owner or the king gifts it by no merit of the person at all. And second, Matthew immediately follows these verses in his gospel. At the end of chapter 19, with Jesus' with Jesus' account or his account of Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard, beginning in verse 20, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is this amazing parable or teaching about, more than anything else, not just God's unfair generosity, as we spoke of, but God's amazing and revolutionary and radical grace. And he goes on to show in that parable that he attaches to this one so that no one forgets that we're saved by grace, that it's really grace in the beginning and grace in the end and all about grace through which a person is saved or inherits eternal life or enters the kingdom. At the same time, nevertheless, it's true. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Because maybe in keeping God's commandments and living His way, a person can begin to experience the kingdom. It all makes sense. To which the man replies seemingly earnestly again, which ones? Which commandments? And we have to give uh, the man, as Matthew seems to do, the benefit of the doubt here. Which ones, he asks. And Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, he quotes five of the six commandments that pertain to relationships between people, between human beings. Jesus doesn't mention here the first four of the Ten Commandments, which pertain primarily to one's relationship to God, with God to God and one's relationship with God. But instead, Jesus names five of the six of the Ten Commandments that pertain to one's relationship with other people. And he adds to that one of his favorite other commands from the book of Leviticus chapter 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which the man whom we are now told is young, was young, replies seemingly, confidently, seriously, not jokingly, facetiously, or snarkily, but curiously and maybe humbly, all of these I've kept. What do I still lack? He has a sense, even as someone who has earnestly kept all of the commandments to the best of his ability, that he still lacks something. That he still lacks something. What do I lack? And he wants to know what this thing might be, and so he asked the rabbi, and this is where things get sticky and complicated and difficult, where the rubber really hits the road. And Jesus always shoots straight with people, and he shoots straight with the man. If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me, be with me, become my student, continue as my disciple. And the word translated here into English as perfect is problematic for us. It just feels wrong. It's the Greek word teleos, and it doesn't mean sinless or moral perfection or perfectionism, but rather perfectly mature or complete, teleos, telescope, to uh, be at that place, to have arrived, to be fully grown or having arrived or being fully devoted or consecrated to God. If you want to be these things, teleos, perfectly complete or mature, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. It's automatic then come follow me. 
And the man Jesus had had some business to take care of at that point and something that only he could do. And while we should be careful to assume, not to assume that what Jesus the great physician prescribed for this particular man was a universal prescription for all people or for us because clearly, clearly some of Jesus' followers had great wealth and retained that great wealth and Jesus never said to them, divest of everything that you have of all of your wealth, still we would do well to listen closely to what Jesus would have us hear in this encounter if we're interested in entering the kingdom. The man had inquired of Jesus, wanting, hoping, looking for more, and Jesus had responded, and Jesus touched that nerve that many of us don't want touched. The word sell had probably never been used in such a painful manner for that man as it was that day. Go and sell. And the implication is sell it all. Sell it all. The man likely would have been glad to give away something, even to make a substantial donation to Jesus and Jesus' ministry. Whether it was a 4-0... 501c3 or not. He would have been glad, we think it sounds like, to have made a donation to give something away, but to retain that power that goes with the ability to have influence in the future. And the one thing Jesus asked for, though, is the one thing that the man couldn't or wouldn't give. And so the man went away sad, Matthew tells us because he had great wealth. Do you have great wealth? Do you have great wealth? Do you like money? That is a weird, awkward question. Do you like money? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but you can raise your hand inside. But I've sort of become, uh, um, I've sort of begun to practice more recently saying out loud what I feel, think, what's true inside. I like money. And that's a weird thing to hear. It doesn't sound very Christian or pure. Uh, Certainly, you don't want your pastor to be saying, I like money or to appear to be a sort of a money lover. But it's true. Like, is it, I don't know if it's true for you, but I like, I like money. I like having money. I like the things that money can buy. I like the things that one can do with money. I like to get. I like to give. I like to save. Don't we like money? I like the security and the privileges and the freedom that go with having money. That's, that feels pretty normal. How many of us have ever turned down a raise simply because we didn't want more money? Go ahead, raise your hand. If... No hands raised. And yet, who among us thinks of ourselves as rich or wealthy? Rich people are, of course, those people who have more money than we have, or a higher paying job, or greater assets, or a bigger investment portfolio, or a larger fortune, or what, 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 whatever. Those are the rich people. Isn't it true? Can 
consider this, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, if your annual income in 2016, these are 2016 numbers, so tweak them a bit. If your annual income in 2016 was $30,000, then your income was greater than that of 50% of one's fellow Americans. If your annual income in 2016 was $56,000, then your income was greater than that of 75% of one's fellow Americans. If your annual income in 2016 was $95,000 or greater, then your income is greater than that of 90% of one's fellow Americans. Who among us are rich? I'm not asking for a show of hands, just something to think about. Nearly half of the world, in other words, about 3.4 billion people, live on $5.50 a day. Do the math, scroll it up, that's about $2,000 a year. Are you wealthy? Are we rich? Do I have great wealth? The map up on the screen portrays wealth per adult with the lighter colors indicating where those with little wealth or no wealth live and the darker colors showing where those with greater wealth live. If you're listening online, podcast or whatever, the black is parts of Western Europe, Northern Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. And the rest of the world goes down deeply from there, or the colors get much lighter. But being wealthy or having great wealth is not bad or sinful. It's interesting, as I listen in the public or political discourse of our country right now, there are those who speak of people with great wealth as somehow to be despised, whether they inherited their wealth or they earned it on their own. There are those who disparage the wealthy or the super wealthy simply because of what they have. But Jesus doesn't do that. But what he does do is point out the great challenge and the great difficulty with having great wealth. We become attached to our wealth and unwilling to part from it. The scriptures call this idolatry. And Jesus and the rest of the scriptures continue to warn us about the dangers of idolatry, of the slippery, slippery slope. You remember Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, a person cannot serve both God and mammon. Or the person, a person cannot serve both God and money. Or a person cannot serve both God and the God money. Or a person cannot serve both God and the money God. You can't serve and worship as the greatest of all things two different entities at the same time. It's just not possible. It's one or the other. And this was the dilemma in which the man found himself. And it's a dilemma of both the young, as in Matthew's gospel, and the old, as in Luke's, Mark's, and John's gospel. It's interesting that there's one commandment I noticed in sort of reading through this passage over and over from the ten that apply to one's relationships with people that Jesus doesn't ask the man. Do you know what that one was? Thou shall not covet. You shall not want in an unhealthy way or an envious way what belongs to your neighbor, what belongs to someone else. You should not desire and crave the things that you don't have that those around you have. And I think Jesus didn't ask the man that question at that point because it was just too close. But it was the, it was the one of those commands that he really hadn't kept, couldn't kept couldn't keep and refused to keep because all that he had and he had great wealth 
was really, really important to him. C.S. Lewis wrote, as on the cover of your bulletin, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. In other words, it's hard for those who are rich in this sense to enter the kingdom of God. And so back now to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. I think we all on the surface and at first, before we know all of the questions and all of the forks in the road, certainly want to enter this realm, reign, reality, kingdom that's among us and in us and around us and available to us and accessible to us here and today. But it feels like bad news in one sense. Does it not? Like it's really hard. But there's another sense, and if we step back and look at it, this is nothing but good news and a lot of good news. We want to know what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. In the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the poor have enough. Jesus doesn't say to the man, simply divest, give away, sell all that you have. Right? It's sell all that you have and give to the poor. So that they will have enough and you'll still have enough. But there is this leaking out of God's love for the least of these and for the children and for those on the edges and for the poor that's visible even in the story. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. In the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the poor have enough. They too are provided for. Second, in the kingdom of God, people are free of coveting, of wanting, of desiring, of clinging to their things and wanting the things that others have. That seems like a simple, it's like it's one of the Ten Commandments. Kyle read it last week. We sort of go, yeah, uh, covet, that's an easy one and we forget about it. But coveting envy, desiring what's not yours and what belongs to your neighbor, whatever that is, rots our hearts. It simply has the ability and the capacity to ruin our hearts from the inside out. And Jesus wants nothing of it. More than that, he wants to free us from it. And in the kingdom and under the reign of God, coveting will be no more. Third, the rich are no longer so attached to their wealth, their possessions, their things, that they cannot let go of them and cling to God. Imagine a person who holds on to everything, and how do they come to God in worship and to honor God when they cannot let go? How can you open your hands? How can you pray and praise to God when your hands are full? But when one is willing and able to let go of the things that one is so tightly clung to, then and only then is one free and liberated to worship another as God, the one true God himself. And finally, those in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, who have significant resources are finally able to find joy in that, are finally able to realize that God has given them us so much, not only so that we can have and enjoy and possess 
ourselves, but so that we can experience the joy that God experiences every day and every moment of giving, of blessing, of providing. That that joy in the kingdom is available to those who will obey the commands, who want to enter as they give to the poor. And so in one sense, there is this reality that those who joyfully obey the commands experience and enter the kingdom that we have asked about the kingdom that we have sought. I went, went by CVS Pharmacy a couple of days ago to get a prescription. Spent a lot of time there lately. And uh, the clerk rings me up at, back at the pharmacy, sign the thing, do the thing, put my card in, read the chip, and, and then there's a little screen, and because I'm, you know, she's always guiding me through, would you like to make a donation? And, you know, I, I don't even remember what the donation was about. Have you been there? Have you, I mean, you had that experience? Would you like to make a donation to, whether it's the a Children's Fund or the American Cancer Society or, or whatever it may be? And there used to be a part of me that resents that. Like, I feel manipulated in that moment. Like, no, if I wanted to make a donation, I would have made it. I gave it to you. I give a lot. No, I'm just here to get the medicine for my kid. No. And my usual thing has been this sort of, no, I'm going to move on. But what if our response was, thanks for the opportunity to give. Thank you so much. I'd love to give because I've got insurance that pays for most of the cost of these pills. And I've got all this other disposable income by the grace of God. Thank you so much. This is one of the best moments of my day. Absolutely, I'd like to give. That, I think, is the kingdom of heaven. That is the beginning of entering into life that is eternal. And that's available to all of us, and especially those of us who have great wealth. Let's pray. God, inasmuch as any of this was your word, help us to take it to heart in this moment and in the moments, days, weeks, and years to come. If any of this is just my stuff, my baggage, my slant, my bent, not even your word, may it just be forgotten and wiped clean from people's minds and hearts as we exit this morning. May your kingdom come and your will be done among us, in us, and through us, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.